If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be morally satisfying, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we best pay off the arcs of those morally interesting characters we're so good at building? And how should your character be properly and satisfyingly punished for being a general shitbag? And Frodo is a shitbag. We're supposed to do questions. Yeah, no question. That's just a statement. All right. We'll uh, tell you why. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So this is the final episode of our three episode series that hopefully we can end with a bang. We will end with a bang. Well, we will end it with a bang because we saved the best for last. Because you or someone you know has built a rich and deep and meaningful, morally gray character. Am I right? Uh, Like every character. Yeah. Every character that I built <laughs> is morally gray. And I don't know what that says about my dark heart. Yeah. It's but, twisted. Yeah. That's what I find uh, compelling and interesting. And I think a lot of other people do, too. But how to play it off, how to pay it off, how to get some grit out of these great characters. My characters can often end so flat because I haven't considered how to finish their story, how to make it feel satisfying and mean something that they went through this morally gray time in their life. Exactly. Rather than just mucking about being a, a <laughs> bit of an asshole to everybody and then the game's over. <laughs> I believe the term that we've settled on is shitbag. All right. This whole... <laughs> I will stick to <laughs> Everyone's our... a shitbag. Established terminology for the episode. Yes, My mistake. <laughs> What's really cool about understanding character arcs and what we even enjoyed so much about making these episodes is just that once you start to see the patterns of great character arcs. The curse of this information is you start to recognize it in every movie or TV show that you start to watch, and you also get to see where they didn't stick the landing sometimes because their character arcs didn't come full circle, and that's why it feels hollow and kind of empty and, ugh, why, why don't I love this piece of media? And to me, that's the interesting part about all of the storytelling stuff that we apply to D&D is that you can craft really good stories with it. But as a consumer of stories, you always know when it's not done right, but you just can't put your finger on it yet. And that's how we start playing D&D. You just you know something's not right. Then you can learn some shit. Then you can play some amazing games. And that's not to say that this is the only way of doing it, because we've all got D&D characters that haven't had any kind of arc. They just kind of go through life and they cut down baddies and they take on quests. And that's all well and good. But for those that really do want to see a rise and a fall in a character and see some dynamism at the table and engage other players at the table in your fiction that you're telling with your character, then we really do have to put some effort and some energy and some thought behind where am I taking this character? And I also do want to quickly address the fact that we are not 
saying to make a plan and stick to it because that's not the game. Oh, no. <laughs> no, you can't make a plan and stick to yeah. it because it's impossible. But going off the rails is pretty much the point of the game. But if you don't have a track to start with, you're just flailing around in a mud patch. <laughs> you're not, you don't have any rails to go off. Yeah, if you can recognize some of these different arcs and see within your character the opportunity to take one of those arcs in the moment, then you can change it when you want to change it. When the rest of your party does something that surprises you, then you can create a new arc. You can go down a new path. And more clearly recognize how your character feels about some of these arcs. Does this open an opportunity for two other arcs that you hadn't considered? Ooh, I can go down this road now. That's when it starts to become really fun. But before we just endlessly theorize about what could be, let's get into the meat of this episode and talk about the morality arc in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, shitbag, lead us into this. <laughs> All right, well, we're talking about morality. That's the umbrella over this. That is the three arcs that we're going to focus on today. So under morality, you have three different types of main character arcs. You've got the redemption arc. You've got the punishment arc. And then you've got the testing arc. But let's start with just kind of recapping morality. What That's, that's a big, vague term yeah what is it morality is based on whatever you feel as a person right how can we make a whole arc about it well morality stories always focus on the protagonist in this case your characters behavior and choices these are the stories that inspire us to consider our own morality and done well they encourage us not to give in to the pressures that test us as real people in this terrifying world and if you're listening to this, you probably have a DM that is one of two things. They're either really morally gray and they tell stories where there is no clear-cut good answer, or you play in a game that's kind of like Lord of the Rings where there's very clearly evils and there's very clearly good, and the choices are pretty clear-cut. The cool thing about morality arcs is that they apply to both. If you're playing in one of those morally gray games then you've probably got a morally great character that is fun to explore these kinds of arcs. What is good? What is evil? But even if you're playing in one of those really clear-cut games, this gives you a golden opportunity to tell these kinds of stories, to tell a story with a character that is challenged by their own morality and needs to wrestle with their own motivations and challenges in order to fit into that very black and white, good versus evil kind of game. Absolutely. I think it's pretty easy to play a morality arc in one of those games, actually, because, I mean, the takeaways we're looking for in a morality character arc are usually one of two things. Good triumphs when the character sacrifices for the right thing, or evil triumphs when the character is selfish. And that is straightforward enough that I can work with it in the midst of a game. So let's talk about the actual arc. So let's start with our redemption arc. Well, the redemption arc is a fun one. Some of <laughs> some of our favorite characters from movies take the redemption arc. They're always kind of the coolest of the crew. 
These arcs start with a character that is selfish and oblivious to it. They might even be masking their selfishness as altruism. They're going around saying that they're a good person, but we all can see that they're a shitbag. <laughs> so many shitbags. Or they're not that bad of a person right now, but they're regretful for terrible deeds of their past. Mm. We all know that character. Yeah, that one's good. And it ends with the character having proven to themselves that they are a good person through an act of self-sacrifice. And you might be imagining that, you know, they have to throw themselves on the grenade to do this and they're dead by the end of the arc. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you'll soon learn that that's not the only way that they have to, you know, go out in a blaze of glory. So as we've been doing with all of these other character arc episodes, we need a movie example to really help this sink in. And I know you're already worried that I'm going to give you another Disney movie. And I am. I am indeed. <laughs> So sorry about that. Well, as we've discussed <laughs> in the past, it is very clear cut and Disney movies are well written with very clear arcs and characters and motivations. Yeah, they got simple characters. So Lion King has a redemption arc in it. The main character, in fact, Simba, because he starts what? A selfish little shitbag, essentially. Yeah, I just can't wait to be king. He wants to <laughs> rule. He doesn't really want any of the responsibility. He doesn't get it. I mean, he was a lion cub. He was like all of six months old. So maybe <laughs> some fair. of that can be forgiven. <laughs> I was rolling around in my own vomit when I was six months old. So <laughs> he's got one up on me. And then he even doubles down on that and learns to have no worries for the rest of his days. Nala then comes and finds him hiding in the bushes. And he realizes he's got to face his weakness and his past and become a responsible lion. So he goes back into Lion Town where the king of the shitbags rules supreme and knocks down his nasty Uncle Scar. That was a really satisfying redemption arc. Yeah, he was haunted by his past. You know, another redemption arc, and this just goes to show that you can have multiple arcs as a single character, would be Darth Vader. Darth Vader does not have a redemption arc until the very last film, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he doesn't even really feel like he's being set up for that redemption arc. Like sometimes you see a character and you're like, oh yeah, they're going to sacrifice themselves at the end. When you want to finish with a redemption arc, just toss the evil emperor in the hole. <laughs> Save your son. <laughs> Super easy. <laughs> and honestly, don't even have to spend any time in a story. Like that's kind of one of the points of these arcs is that they can be super simple. Like we kind of talked about in the last episode, in order to redeem oneself, all a rogue has to do is look at the exit, acknowledge it within the fiction of the game, and then turn back to face the baddie. Like, that's a redemption. And yeah. that's exactly what Vader did, was in the last, like, 30 seconds of the film, <laughs> he yeets an emperor and then dies, and he's like, actually, you saved me already. Yeah, And exactly. that was it. That was his entire arc. He spent 90% of the movie being a shitbag <laughs> and yeah then he just saved himself at the very end a badass shitbag though oh yeah don't forget oh yeah. total total badass all right so when you're planning this arc for your character it's really just a few quick things that you got to keep in mind you got to give your character a moral weakness when you're doing this do not make them into a shitbag that shits on the other party members yeah that's a common mistake because these are the characters that are in front of you most of the time and it can be real tempting 
to be an asshole to everyone else at the table, don't do it. Yeah. Resist that urge. <laughs> I mean, think of our examples. Vader wasn't being an ass to the emperor. He wasn't like prodding him in the back and <laughs> taunting him and stealing his stuff. <laughs> Eating his lunch <laughs> out of the locker. And Simba wasn't beating up Timon and Pumbaa. He had a moral weakness, but it wasn't always present. He wasn't always <laughs> a shitbag. The next step is when you're facing challenges with your character throughout the game, you want to have them go through a few realizations about themselves. They got to realize that they have a weakness. They got to realize that they don't want to face their weakness. And they've got to realize that their weakness is holding them back from their external goals. Now, a really important point to all three of these is that these are all internal dialogues. That's the trick here. That's your challenge as a player is figuring out a way to acknowledge all of these steps publicly. Which is always why I like to play characters that are a little bit overly talkative. <laughs> that just helps. <laughs> yeah, you can play off of your other characters. You can ask them what they think. These are great ways to role play and ask them, hey, do you think I should have done this in this moment? And you can get them to recognize some of your character's flaws, then your character can simply acknowledge it. And on the flip side, if you're trying to help the other people at your table feel like their characters mean something as well, try to encourage their character arcs. Ask them about what they're going through. Yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah. Why did you stab that shopkeeper? He <laughs> had already given us what we needed. And then to wrap up the entire arc, you got to have them overcome their moral weakness at the end. And this can result in, you know, success of the external goal, whatever they're working on as a party, or just being done with their own struggle. This could be as simple as rectifying a past mistake. You know, the past mistake that your character keeps going on and on about. Yeah. About how they abandoned their friend at the Battle of Witcher's Ridge. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like it. Thanks for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they they abandon their character. Now they're going back to pay their respects to their family. That's a redemption arc. You're done. And it happened outside a game. It happened during downtime. There you go. But they needed to go through their adventures to have the courage to do that. Or, you know, on that same example, if they abandoned a friend before, then all of a sudden at the big bad fight of this campaign, they think about abandoning their new friends and then they don't. There you go. Yeah, your character says audibly, we've got to get out of here or I'm leaving without you. Yeah. And then they turn with a bonus action and then they turn back. It's it's a movement. It, you know, you sacrifice 10 feet of your character's movement to take one step towards the door and then they draw their swords and plunge into the fray. <laughs> That's a redemption arc. You did it. Well, if you want to make it real dramatic, you take a whole turn to do it. Fire an arrow backwards <laughs> oh, yeah. as you're fleeing. Then flee back in. <laughs> Make your entire party think that you are, in fact, piecing out. You don't have to leave it up to mechanics to be afraid of something. Do it in character. What are some other ways that we could play this within our example Slay the Dragon arc? Right. So this whole time we've just been working off of the idea that there's an adventure where you got to go slay the dragon. Everyone knows the classic Save the Town. So the character's moral weakness, you know, whatever yours is, but maybe they abandoned a call for a militia to fight a dragon a long time ago, but they skipped town. That town was destroyed. Their hometown was destroyed because they 
chose not to sign up with the militia? Exactly. Holy shit, that's some guilt that they're hanging around. That's some (laughs) baggage, son. So throughout their adventure to kill the dragon, they have to just realize that they're a shitbag. Maybe they've already come to that conclusion before the game starts, or when somebody in their party points out their kind of rude behavior. Then you got to play that out a bit. So, you know, maybe in the first couple of combat encounters or even social encounters that seem like they might go south, have them on the edge of retreating, have them backing up away from things. And when the party mentions the quest about going to slay the dragon, they throw up their hackles. They're hell no, I am not going to do that. That sounds stupid. (laughs) That sounds like instant death. But be sure to play that line of doing this in character and not actually trying to get out of the quest. Yeah, I think there's a point to make there that as players, we have to make sure that the party always knows that we are, in fact, on board to do this quest. No matter what, my character is going to take whatever quest comes their way. They're just going to react poorly to it. Yeah. And this avoids that whole... I don't know if you've ever played... I, I recall vaguely playing with a rogue one time that everyone had to convince every single quest is like make it worth my time pay me that's that's a shit character your character (laughs) wants to go on adventures trust me they're trying to actually get our cut of the treasure out of it it's like like, whoa 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 whoa. (laughs) oh my god that's a terrible way of going about it but uh yeah all your character has to do is just say hell no this sounds extremely dangerous well we're all going ah shit are you sure there's I, not somebody that's more qualified to do this? Yeah, let's hire somebody. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. what are our other options? Oh, this is our only option? All right, fine. And then they just throw up their, their shoulders and say, all right, I guess. <laughs> Have them continue to act, you know, defensive and skittish along the way as they come up against kobolds and traps. Oh, yeah, they're on the edge of their seat the whole time. And then during the fight, they actually have a minor breakdown, like a panic attack. Like, you can just stop the combat for a half a second and say, my character is breathing heavily and cowering behind a rock. It doesn't take anything out of your combat. You're just, you're going with it. And it lets the other players have something to react to. Yeah. That's great. Now the paladin says, get out here, you coward. (laughs) Picks them up and (laughs) carries them over their shoulders. And then they just overcome their moral failure. Either they they finally, at the moment of truth, rush in to help their allies, or they're the one that guards the kidnapped townsfolk during the fight and, you know, taking lots of hits for it, surprising everybody that's witnessed their terrible character up to this point. Or, but let's say your character is not one to take the redemption arc. Let's say it's a punishment arc. Yeah, they could totally go in that direction. So this is the one where they start morally high or low. It doesn't really matter. That's true. But a great place to start from on this one is kind of the bad guy that you root for. The classic anti-hero. Okay. Well, we're great at making these characters too. Yep. This is, you know, the Han Solos, the Sherlock Holmeses, the Wolverines of your games. They're assholes, but there's just something likable and... You know, you want to see them come through. They're kind of teetering on the edge of being a villain, almost. Yeah, but to navigate their world, they've learned some immoral behaviors and skills. Maybe they think it's the best way to navigate a bad world. Or 
or they can begin as someone that is outwardly moral, but there's something a little darker underneath. Ah. The lifestyle doesn't quite fit them. And at the end of their character arc, they are morally low. And here's the important part of this arc. They're punished for it. And being punished for it is actually the only way these stories kind of make sense in our minds. Because if the character isn't punished, it leaves us feeling wrong about it. We want to see justice done in these kinds of stories. And when it's not, it just like leaves a hole. Dissatisfaction. You're unsatisfied by the end of this arc. Yeah. So a great example of this is the series Breaking Bad. Well, that is one long ass character arc. Very true. You got to watch like 900 hours of TV (laughs) to thoroughly see that character come to its conclusion. True. But again, it does kind of all come down to similar to Vader, the last 30 seconds. Like he starts the adventure being a man that would do anything for his family. We all think he's pretty good, but he's a little bit attached to the financial security that he craves. And that's what drives him down a bit of a dark path. He continually becomes more and more immoral. He's justifying it the whole time by saying it's for his family. But, you know, we see him come to love it. He loves (laughs) being being Heisenberg. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the spoiler for you. So if you still want to watch it, skip the next 30 seconds. Sing to yourself for a bit. It ends with a grand finale shootout where Walter White is shot. And we're left wondering if he died or was arrested. Either way, it gives us some sort of sense of justice for the life of a drug kingpin. Because while we might like him as a character, we can't justify him going free and getting everything he wants. That would not have been a good ending if he won the gunfight and walked away. And the beauty of great writing is that you still kind of want that to happen despite the fact that you know that their deeds need to be punished. Yeah. So when you're planning this out for your character, you know, we already said make your character an anti-hero or just a plain old hero that doesn't feel quite right. Make them engage in immoral behavior throughout their adventure with some kind of justification that looks like this is the only way to get by. Everyone's out to stab me in the back. I can't trust anyone. All of those kind of character behaviors (laughs) that are so classic. They're so recognizable. Those are all the the kinds of behaviors and opinions that we're looking for. Again, never at the expense of party members or the players will hate you. A really quick way of taking care of this whole arc and making sure that your character can lose something at the end is to just quickly talk to your DM about having something valuable that you'll never truly use within the game. But your character needs something to lose, something that they really deeply care about. So this could be your familial home. This could be a vast treasure. This could be anything that will really truly rob them of something valuable or something that they value. So it doesn't even have to be uh, like a family member or something like that, something that is truly valuable, but it could be something that they mistakenly value as a part of their character weakness. So maybe they do just covet their treasure. They've got Seven million gold sitting in a vault back home. It's never (laughs) going to enter the game. The DM should be totally fine with it. You promise that you will never use it because your character loves to hoard gold. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, whatever you like. Maybe it's paintings of them in heroic poses, perhaps. Maybe it's a cow that they grew up with. Their wonderful pet cow. 
or paintings of their cow. A thousand <laughs> paintings of their cow. That seems like a weird obsession. <laughs> that home is oddly decorated. Yeah. And if you want to stick to this arc, you got to let it end with them sticking to their immorality. The whole time they've been justifying their actions on behalf of their cow paintings. And you got to <laughs> let justice be delivered to them. And so what Travis has set up here is that justice now doesn't have to look like being imprisoned for the rest of the campaign or dying. It can look like them losing that thing that was super valuable to them. They've paid in some sense in the cosmic scale of justice. The scales have been balanced. And so them losing an out of game thing that never really had much of a place in the game or any importance is now satisfying to the rest of the players to say, yes, I am playing with this thieving, conniving, lying rogue, but they lost their massive treasure back home or their collection of cow paintings. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. So what kind of little actions can we take to make sure that we're role playing this out? Well, first of all, you need a character with flaws and weaknesses. Consider giving them some serious strength of character to make them likable still. Maybe they've got a superiority complex and always insult NPCs, but have incredible determination to achieve their goals. Yeah, the party still needs to see a reason to keep them around. Yeah. Like, they can't be so unlikable that it's better to go the adventure <laughs> without them. Yeah. And this can all be fairly simple and you can even kind of blend it together if it feels right for your character. I kind of learned this lesson with my character Angin, the rogue Goliath, who started his own thieves guild from orphans. So this both gave him something to lose and evidence of his immorality. Well, and what I loved about that character was that he was altruistic on the outside, is that even to his other party members, he kept up with the facade that he was adopting children and giving them a place to live with all of his riches. But secretly, he was training them all to be pickpockets and thieves in the town. But he was even defending it to himself. Like he was saying, that's the best that these kids can get. Yeah, yeah. It was a great altruistic way of doing good in the world <laughs> was to create more thieves. <laughs> yeah. And the challenge there was that we ended the campaign and he never got his comeuppance. Right. He didn't get justice, so it did fall flat. We could have had those orphans all find another path and he loses everything he's built. Or he could have, in some downtime between sessions, spent some time in prison for breaking so many laws. Yeah. And then those kids go on to better homes and legit orphanages. Yeah. Where they got good care <laughs> and weren't being trained to be thieves yeah. and criminals. Never know. It's good to have some thievery skills in your life. Might come in handy. Well, let's move on to the testing arc. I like the testing arc because it can span campaigns or adventures, but it can be a really short arc. The end of it can be during any moral dilemma that the DM puts in front of you. You've got two arcs under the testing category, the triumph and the surrender. The triumph is where the character starts morally high and ends morally high. Throughout the adventure, they're pressured to compromise their ideals, but resist often losing something else that's important to them as a result. And the surrender is where they start morally high and end morally low. That means they gave in to the pressure. They compromise their ideals. 
And in this kind of a, an arc, the character can still win their fight, but surrender their morals in doing so. Ooh, that's juicy stuff. So they might kill the dragon, but they did so in a way that compromised their values. So a movie example of this, and this might be our only like a recent spoiler. So if you haven't watched The Mandalorian, again, <laughs> skip ahead about 30 seconds. And I know we've talked about The Mandalorian too many times in recent history, but there's more <laughs> to say about it. So I'm going to keep talking about it. It's that good. So skip ahead 30 seconds if you haven't seen it. But The Mandalorian values the life of the child. He's somehow weirdly attached to this kid who outwardly tells himself he doesn't. But clearly we've seen through his actions that he does. He cares about the life of that kid. But he also values his code of the Mandalorian, which, as we start to learn, is a little bit of a weird fringe version <laughs> of the Mandalorians. So the moral good side of this is that he's attached to the child. We all can see that, you know, caring for a child is a morally good thing to do when that child is being hunted. Especially when he had the opportunity to leave it behind and he chose not to. And kind of in for a penny, in for a pound. He spends the next couple of seasons committed <laughs> to making sure that child is safe because he's already given up something in order to rescue that child. And he's constantly tested. He has many opportunities where it would be much easier to just give over the child. He could almost go back to his old life if he did so. And every time he chooses, he doubles down on his choice. And in the end, we get this moment where he triumphs in protecting the child, he does not give in to the temptations of immorality. And in doing so, he gives up the last significant part of his code. And it kind of represents the rest of it to us when he takes off his helmet to let the child see his face. Oh, that was powerful. So when you're planning this for your character, give him some moral strength, but something valuable that will come into conflict with that. You can have their strength tested by the challenges of the adventures. And you have them either keep their strength and lose the valuable thing, which counts as a triumph, or sacrifice their strength and keep something valuable, which is them surrendering. So going back to the dragon, here's an example for you. Maybe you've got a character that always protects the innocent. That's great. But they care deeply about this reputation that they've managed to create as a soulless mercenary. Ooh, They like the respect that that gets them. Yeah. To pull this off, you could just have them really eager to protect the innocent from the dragon. They are only telling that to maybe their confidants in the party. And outwardly, they're very boastful about being a badass. In the end, they've just got to choose either rescue the captured townsfolk that need their help or to keep their reputation as a cold mamma jamma and do some badass moves on the dragon. Even better is if they don't end up killing the dragon, but they do rescue the townsfolk. Now, all of a sudden, what's that going to do to their reputation as a dragon hunter, as the mighty bounty hunter? Yeah, these townsfolk saw their tender side and they can never let that. You Disgusting. Know. <laughs> of course, there's a million ways to do this. There's a million details that you can come up with for your character. Please let us know what you end up with. Oh, we would love to hear how you applied any of these arcs to your character or the arcs that you're planning for your character. Like Jordan said, there's a million ways to do this, and every one of them is interesting. And if you feel like running them past us or want to get into the conversation on our Discord, hop in there, 
drop in your character arc ideas because we would love to hear them. <laughs> Super fun for us to think about. And because of that, we're going to Timora's Tavern to mess around with some characters' arcs that we know and love. Oh, yeah. Frodo is never going to be the same. <laughs> Welcome to Timora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. All right, so let's mess up some Frodo. Excellent. In taking a look at Frodo's character arc as it exists now, it was kind of a really cool realization for us about how perfectly it fits the testing arc. Because you've got Frodo. He's got a moral strength. He's starting high. He's the hero that's willing to take the ring to Mordor. Sure, he, he's not super comfortable about it, but he's willing to do it. Well, that's the heroic action. He steps up. Yeah. But he comes to care deeply about that bling. <laughs> he has his strength tested by all of the challenges of the adventure, and he constantly is struggling with that damn ring. He sacrifices his inner strength, and at the end, oh, it's super epic. He sacrifices his inner strength, his morality, right when he's about to toss that sucker into the volcano, when he looks back at Sam and says, the ring is mine. And that was the big realization because at the end of Lord of the Rings, you're sitting there going, wow, they succeeded. Yeah. Sauron has been stopped and everyone ends happy. But those final scenes have a totally different vibe. Now that I'm going into it looking like Frodo failed his testing arc, he was tested and he chose not to destroy the ring. And the only reason that the ring is now gone is because Thankfully, <laughs> that little squirmy shitbag jumps on him, gnaws off his finger, and then falls into the volcano. And it's made even worse. It's compounded by the fact that Sam is the only one else in the world that knows the secret of how Frodo failed yeah. to complete the one task that he set out to do. And his arc really is a bummer because... You know, the thing that he sacrificed his morality for, this ring, he doesn't even get to go off and be a proper shitbag like he wanted. He lost the ring, too. Yeah. He's got nothing in the end. All he's lost is his value and his morality in the eyes of the only person that really considered him a friend throughout the entire thing. But okay, let's let's start with an easy jam of the arc. What if we flip the end of that? So let's picture... Gollum running in, but this time Sam holds him off. Oh. They get to wrestling. Sam and, and Gollum? Yeah, yeah. They're like punching, exchanging blows. We've been waiting to see Sam kick the shit out of Gollum, right? Oh, God, that would have been so much better. <laughs> and Frodo, he does toss the ring in. He does it. He overcomes that cursed ring and throws it in, while Sam simultaneously suplexes Gollum into the Kano. <laughs> Which he's, you know, he's Gollum scrambling for that anyways, because the ring is about to fall too. Gollum gets the ring, my precious, holds it up. Frodo and Sam embrace at the top of the volcano and everything is good. And they go back, triumphant heroes. Yeah. Frodo doesn't look like he's been robbed of his very <laughs> soul in the bed in Elftown. He's just like, he's beaming. Yeah. Him and Sam practically skip down the side of that volcano. Yeah. And back home to the Shire. 
knowing that they saved the entire world. Because the only reason they were so bummed and tired when the Eagles picked him up is because of that failure. Yeah. If they would have made it, they would have been, woohoo, like yeah. arms out, <laughs> happy little hobbits. <laughs> so here's another realization. It was kind of soul shattering, if you will. <laughs> wow. You have a lot of investment oh, in yeah. these little hobbits. Hey? Oh, yeah. So Merry and Pippin are the best of friends. They are the template for friends. With each other through thick and thin. Got plenty of banter. Yeah, they're happy as you please. They've seen some shit and they end up back at the Shire at the end of that film, having gone through quite a bit and they're still best friends. What a wonderful story that is. Yeah. But Sam and Frodo, on the outside, you would think that Sam and Frodo are friends. Right, they go through the adventure together. Yes. And Sam cares for Frodo very deeply. But Frodo, throughout all three films, never once corrects Sam in calling him Mr. Frodo. Why is that? Because Sam is Frodo's gardener who goes on the adventure who says, yes, I'm going to step up and be a hero. And Frodo, through all the stuff that they've seen and done, never once says, hey, Sam, you can just call me Frodo. (laughs) We're kind of friends now. You think at no. some point. But even at the very end, when he's standing at the top of Mount Doom by Frodo's side, Frodo still never says like, hey, you can drop the mister. <laughs> I know you like carried me up this mountain and you helped me get through the toughest times of my life. But you're still an employee, fuckface. <laughs> A shitbag indeed. Oh, I can never look at Frodo the same way again. Yeah, because when you even think back to all of the times that they were making and breaking camp, Sam's always the one doing the work and Frodo's just like pensively staring off into the horizon. Thanks, Frodo. Yeah, I got this. your own smelly, sweaty, (laughs) soiled, well-traveled gunch (laughs) that's just laying around this campsite. And I can understand Sam's frustration. I mean, he gets pretty pissed off with Gollum and... And Frodo, after not lifting a finger, turns around and says, be nice to him, man. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Shut up. Oh, my God. Anyways. Mr. Frodo. Now let's let's give Frodo what he's really got coming (laughs) to him. All right. So let's do the punitive story arc. Okay. He's going to get some justice. You've got to come up with an idea for a punishment arc. All right. Well, I think we could start this off by saying... Frodo takes the ring and pieces out. Instead okay. of going on an adventure with Sam, he just takes off. Sam is like, oh, I thought we were... Oh, Frodo's gone. He, took he the like ring. breaks halfway through the, the movie. He yeah. doesn't resist the call of the ring. And he's just like... <laughs> Gives in. Yeah. Okay. That's him being a little shitbag. But so Sam, he's on his own. Frodo just left. He starts hunting him down. Rambo style. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Frodo is one step ahead of him the whole time, and Sam shows up in every town that he passes through. Did you see this, Hobbit? So this is, like, because of all the Mr. Frodo abuse that he's taken as <laughs> Frodo's gardener, yeah. he's the first one to step up when somebody's like, we need somebody to go and hunt Frodo down. He's taken off with Sauron's one ring. We need it back. And well, Sam's like, I'm in. <laughs> It might happen when it's just Sam and Frodo traveling together. So no, nobody else even knows. Sam's oh. got to do it. 
because everyone else is doing their shit to stop the army. That elevates Sam's heroism because yeah. he's the only one that knows. So he takes on the responsibility himself of hunting down his former employer. Exactly. Meanwhile, Frodo is just going everywhere, doing everything he wants. He's stealing shit and pants and kings. He's showing up in all the important scenes of the movie. <laughs> just being a little ass. He's even pretending to be a dwarven ghost and talking Gimli into, you know, pranking the rest of the gang. <laughs> that's what you do with the ultimate power of the ring? Yeah, that's what I would do. So then, through his dark path, Frodo gets inhabited by Sauron. The, at this point, Sam recruits the rest of the gang. The rest of the fellowship learns about these crimes, comes together, and they're going to take him down. Sam, he knows, you know, he knows the target's patterns and habits. He's going to lead them. Uh-huh. At the finale, there's an epic Sauron slash Frodo fight scene with all of the warriors in the mix. We got orcs, we got trolls. And Sam is the one this time that jumps up and bites the ring off of Frodo's finger. I love the savagery of like, I'm taking this finger off. Like yeah. Sam's face is covered in blood from biting off Frodo's <laughs> ring. And Frodo Sauron is like, Fighting off uh, Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn. It's this epic battle. Sam jumps up there and gnaws it off. He tosses it up to Gandalf, who's swooping by on an eagle's back, who flies it to the volcano, pops it in, makes some kind of volcano pun and winks at the camera. Credits roll. (laughs) I love the breaking the fourth wall at the very end. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Gandalf. Very different way to end that trilogy. Thanks. You didn't say good, did you? Uh, I mean, that's debatable. (laughs) All right. Well, why don't you take a swing at a redemption arc then? All right. Well, Frodo refuses to take the ring at the beginning. Okay. Never does. This journey is not for him. Instead, he wants to go on proper adventures like his uncle Bilbo. This sounds like a suicide mission, not a good adventure, not going to talk your way out of a dragon's lair and fighting all kinds of different monsters like his uncle did with Sting so many years ago. Instead, he says, nah, I'm not going to take the ring. I'm going to go do something like that. And the fellowship continues on with the mission. The rest of them say, yes, we still have to destroy this ring. So they take the ring towards Mount Doom. But as the adventure goes on, each member is corrupted slowly. Mm. Whoever has to take the ring it makes short work of their resolve. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, Frodo did have some resolve after oh, sure. all. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was the one that was supposed to do it. Yeah. And so throughout, they are starting to murder each other, just like Boromir. You know, th- this is not going well for any one of them. Yeah. They're turning on each other. They're infighting. And then through a series of vignettes, we get to watch Frodo go on his merry adventure, the adventure that he always dreamed of outside of the Shire, except that it's a dark version of this because the world is being torn apart in the year and a half or two that it takes to get the ring to Mount Doom, as the Fellowship is trying to do, Frodo is seeing the world that he always wanted to. But there are orcs rampaging through, and this is far worse than anything we saw in Lord of the Rings, because this is like an occupation. All of the towns that he had heard about, 
yeah, they're occupied by orcs. Yeah. And they are being dismantled from within. <laughs> this isn't fun. No. Yeah. No, this is terrible. And he's seeing the tragedy of Sauron's forces just running amok. So he decides to turn around and reunite with what remains of the fellowship, which is really just Sam and Legolas. <laughs> Legolas had to murder Gimli because Gimli was about to take off with the ring. Arrow between the eyes at 500 yards. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> Damn. But now the three of them make it to Mount Doom and with Frodo's stick to I don't know what <laughs> made him get through the rest of that adventure, but they make it to Mount Doom. They toss it in. Roll credits. Very nice. It's kind of like a All covert right. mission. Like that's what I, I would see with Legolas yeah. leading them and their ability to stay stealthy. Yeah. They have to like get through all the camps together. Yeah, yeah. The small team that's got to, you know, finish things off. Yeah. Do the most important part. Very cool. Well, just because I can't help myself, I've got a redemption one for you, too. Let's say Frodo blows up the Shire at the beginning with the fireworks faux pas. <laughs> wow, he's really starting off with a bang. Yeah, it's a it's a bloodbath. It's a tragedy. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> this ain't a happy Shire. He's got some regrets, right? I would. Yeah. <laughs> He shirks all responsibility and becomes a wanderer. So instead of Frodo and Sam, Gandalf gets Sam and Rosie Cotton, his eventual wife, to go destroy the ring. Ooh. Throughout their adventure, they forge a relationship stronger than anything due to the stress it was put under. This is like a rom-com travel movie. <laughs> yeah, with a bit of a darker twist to it. Sure. I mean, they're still, you know, experiencing terrible things along their journey <laughs> all right <laughs> but yeah there's a there's a hint of that in there during frodo's wandering he meets up with Gollum still who won't leave him alone because of his ties to bilbo he still thinks maybe frodo has the ring he's lying hobbits is lie oh yeah he can smell his uncle on him he's <laughs> like i know that you're one of them yeah because of this frodo realizes that he does have to go back and help Otherwise, the people he once cared for might end up like Gollum. He's still got some goodness underneath. Yeah. See, I like that. Then we get to the finale at the volcano. Sam and Rosie are having a real tough time fighting through some orcs that, you know, cut him off at the pass. Frodo shows up, pulls out one last firework and says to the orcs, come get me, you ugly sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one. It's the dragon firework. He lets them all pile on him. And he blows them sky high. Wow. Sam and Rosie with tears in their eyes drop the ring together and kiss. <laughs> right on that, that precipice. <laughs> they couldn't think of a cooler place to have a kiss. No. It's just in the 300 degree heat of the volcano. <laughs> Sweaty, dirty. My skin is cooking, but we must embrace. <laughs> yep. There you go. A couple of redemptions for you. I'm pretty sure... J.R.R. Tolkien is pissed wherever he is. <laughs> yeah. Of what we've done to his... Or anyone that has any respect for his work. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're just over here committing crimes. We need our own redemption arc. Yeah. I have shame for this. Hopefully, our patrons will forgive us. Thank you for this episode. And, I mean, really, you're all kind of partially responsible. Yes. If you're going to blame somebody, blame these people. Chris F., I see spiders where there are none. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrost. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all so much for supporting us with this podcast and all the episodes that you've heard. 
recently. Thank you very much to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit, telling us all about your character arcs. And don't forget to join that Discord, which is the quickest and easiest way to tell us about those character arcs that these episodes maybe helped you with. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, and redeem yourselves, shitbags! <laughs> You're all shitbags! <laughs> Thank you.